It is good to be here with you all today. If you are joining us for the first time, uh, my name is Lee Gilligan, and I am one of the assistant pastors here on staff. And it is always a, a huge honor, a great privilege to get to fill the pulpit whenever Pastor Tim is away. Now, he and the family are taking just a few days just to kind of decompress and, and get out of town before the, uh, you know, the hectic pace of the holidays. And uh, he, he works pretty hard for you guys. Y'all know that? Give honor to where honor is due. Week in and week out, he, he brings it. And, and, and that's hard because when you hit home runs, what do people expect? Home runs. And so, so he works hard for us and, and to, to teach the truth of the scriptures. And not only that, he leads our, our staff here at Meadowbrook and casts vision. And he's also uh, recently entered a doctoral program where he's furthering his education to get his doctorate. And so that's a lot of demand. That's a lot of work. And so I'm glad that he's able to just kind of unhook for a few days and get away and rest and know that the, the camp's being held down and that we're back here having church. Can we have some church today? Yeah. All right. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get right into what it is that I feel God would have me to share with you uh, today. And so I kind of want to open with a, with a story. And we're going to go back in time. So indulge me for a second. We're going to go back to the date, Sunday, August 20th, 1989. Now, the significance of this particular day is that it was the first service of Meadowbrook Church, the very first Sunday. And uh, at that time, it was actually called Ocala Word of Faith Church. And, and my father back then, who had much more hair, he and my mom had taken me and my sister, and he really felt, we were living in Tampa at the time, he felt a call of God on his life uh, that we were supposed to come to Ocala, Florida, and uh, plant a life-giving church right here in Ocala. And so with, with pretty much nothing in, in our pockets and just on faith, he, he picked up our family and we came and, and moved here. And we actually moved into uh, a trailer in Leesburg, which is where my dad grew up. And, and so his great-grandmother had a trailer that she was letting us stay in. So on that morning, dad is scared, he's nervous, he's excited, he's praying, he's just all these emotions in one. And if you know my father, he's uh, very much a routine type of guy. He's very disciplined, uh, very methodical, very deliberate, and so he has his routines. And whenever he talks to us about margin, he, uh, he backs that up. He doesn't just preach it, but he walks it out. And the guy loves to always have margin on his side. So that means he shows up to places early. So early that morning, he left, drove from Leesburg up here to Ocala to the Hilton Hotel right here over by Chili's and El Torreo. And it, we had our very first service in a small banquet room there. Now, on that morning, he, he was gone, and so my mom is back at, at home, and she has all the same emotions that he had, except she's also got, on top of that, the task of getting myself and my sister ready for church. My grandmother was there to, to help out, but as you know, since we're going back uh, 24 years, I wasn't even quite yet four at that point. And so a three-and-a-half-year-old's job is to complicate certain situations like that. <laughs> and and, I, and I, have, I have a, a three-and-a-half-year-old boy now, and and so sometimes I wonder, is every three-and-a-half-year-old boy like that? Or am I just reaping this bountiful harvest uh, of what it was that I sowed back then? And so, uh, whatever the answer to that is, we'll, we'll never know. But on that morning, my job was to complicate us getting out of the house on time. And so, I was going up to my grandmother and annoying her, because I knew she wasn't quick enough to catch me. And, and, and I was picking on my little sister, Elise wasn't even one at the time. And, and then I would run in and take something from my mom or, or bug her. And finally, I remember running back in that, that restroom where she was. And she, she stopped and she hit her hands on the counter. And she said, Lee, you better cut it out. Or I'm going to give you a spanking. And immediately, you know, I straightened up and I ran to my room and I grabbed this, 
a little, uh, it was like a pinkish purple children's Bible. It had these funny characters on the cover and I could still picture it. I can almost smell it. I grabbed that Bible and I ran into the living room of that trailer and I went up to my grandma and I said, Mama, hurry, find me something on self-control. Find me something on self-control. Out of the mouths of babes, right? And so the funny thing about that story, I've heard it a million times. Mom always makes sure to tell that around holidays and, and, and around the table when everyone's together. Uh, me driving her crazy and, and bringing the Bible to Mama so I could get some self-control. But the thing that stands out to me about that is that even at three and a half years old, my circumstances were about to change. I, I was about to get in trouble. I was about to get a whipping because of something. It, it wasn't my mom just out to get me. I lacked self-control and I knew it. And I knew that because I had lacked that self-control, I was about to suffer the consequences. Now, a lot of times that's us in life. Not everything you are going through or not everything you've gone through is necessarily a result of these outside uncontrollable forces or circumstances. A lot of things that that we have to walk through sometimes are are a result of us not having self-control in a particular area. And uh, it may be, maybe it's finances. Maybe you're in a financial hardship right now. Things are tight. And it's not because of the economy or the recession or because uh, you lost your job. Maybe it's because you made a, a rash purchase or you made a, a wrong investment. And, and because you lack self-control in, a, in an instant, now you're, you're feeling the, the, the tightness of, of that financial strain because of that. And it was because of self-control. Maybe it's a, a relationship that has been um, damaged. Maybe this is a friend or someone that at one point you, uh, it was a healthy, happy relationship. And now that relationship is strained or it's tense. And it's not necessarily because someone sabotaged your friendship or someone started a rumor. But maybe it's because in, in a moment you lacked self-control and said something that you wish you hadn't said. And now it's damaged that relationship. I, I, don't, I don't know what it could be that applies to you, but all of us can probably look at our life and take inventory and see an area where it's like, you know what, I'm going through that or I went through that because I just lacked self-control. And we've got to get self-control. Now today I'm not so much talking about self-control in general as I am talking about self-control having to do with our mouths and the words that we say. There's great power in our words. And, and if we don't get a grip on our tongue... So a lot of times there will be hardships we go through because of things that we said. Amen. There's power in our words. How many of y'all know that there are some things that are just better left unsaid? Some, some things you, you, you just don't say. And a lot of times you learn those things by having said it and then realizing the repercussions. And you're like, I'm not saying that again. Like, for instance, now that I have two kids, I've walked through two pregnancies with my wife. And there's some things you just don't say to a pregnant woman. It's just not worth saying. And I had to learn it the hard, hard way. You don't, ask, you don't ask a pregnant woman, are you going to eat all of that? You just, you don't go there. It's not worth saying. My kids, like Gavin, if I'm going to say I'm taking him to get ice cream or, or go to the park, I better mean it because he's going to make me pay up. And so if you don't mean it, don't say it. I can't just use that as a bribe tool. You know, he's not going to let me off the hook. Uh, Facebook statuses. Some people think that that because you're not saying something directly out of your mouth or face-to-face, that people get like this false confidence behind their computer screen through Twitter or Facebook, and they spout off about politics and opinions, and it's like, no one cares. But some things are just better left unsaid. I, I, I heard about this couple the other day who, they got married, and on their honeymoon, the, the husband said to the wife, he said, honey, now that we're married, uh, I'd like to let you know about some of the defects that, I, that I've noticed about you. And she she said, well, of course, since it obviously was those defects that kept me from getting a better husband. 
Some things you just aren't, they're not worth saying. They're not worth repeating, but you learn it the hard way. But let's not, I know, I know we're joking here, but I don't want to diminish, um, make light of this. I, I, we got to realize that words are powerful and we can't say, oh, well, that was just something I said, or, oh, that slipped, or, you know, I, I didn't, didn't really mean it. There's power in our words. And we can't question the power of those spoken words. When we look at creation and we look at the heavens and the earth, God didn't hit everything with a bolt of lightning and a, a magic formula. God spoke and there it was. It was through his words. And so look at us. As children of God, Genesis says that we were created in the image and the likeness of God. And further, as believers, the same spirit that was at, resur- at creation and the same spirit that was at the resurrection is the same spirit that is alive and living in us today. And so you better believe that when you open your mouth to speak or when you step out to act, there's power in what you go to do. And are you using that to bring life or are you using that to uh, reap a world of hurt? What is it? There's, there's consequences. There's power in the things that we say and we can't diminish that. I want you, if you're taking notes, to go to uh, James chapter 3. Write that down, James 3. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 12. This is kind of be the, the main text I used today. Now, it, only open it if you have the message translation, because normally, okay, I don't, I don't normally read the message a lot, and I especially don't study out of it or teach out of it. The message is a great uh, accompanying translation, because you read something sometimes in the King James, and it's kind of like, what? And then you read it in the message, and it's a more modern day, not slang, but you know, a translation that is more like how we would talk to each other. And so as I was studying uh, to, to teach today, I realized that I really liked the way the message translation put this particular passage. So James 3, 1 through 12, I encourage you, go back and read it in whatever your translation of choice would be. But uh, for the sake of my point, I really like the message today. It's going to be on the screen. It says, don't be in any rush to become a teacher, my friends. Teaching is highly responsible work. Teachers are held to the strictest standards, and none of us is perfectly qualified. We get it wrong nearly every time we open our mouths. If you could find someone whose speech was perfectly true, you would have a perfect person in perfect control of their life. A bit in the mouth of a horse controls the whole horse. A small rudder on a huge ship in the hands of a skilled captain sets a course in the face of the strongest winds. A word out of your mouth may seem of no account, but it can accomplish nearly anything or destroy it. It only takes a spark, remember, to set off a forest fire. A careless or wrongly placed word out of your mouth can do that. By our speech, we can ruin the world, turn harmony to chaos, throw mud on a reputation, send the whole world up in smoke and go up in smoke with it. Smoke right from the pit of hell. And this is scary. You can tame a tiger, but you cannot tame the tongue. It has never been done before. The tongue runs wild, a wanton killer. With our tongues, we bless God our Father. And with the same tongues, we curse the very men and women he made in his image. Curses and blessings out of the same mouth. My friends, this can't go on. A spring doesn't gush fresh water one day and brackish the next, does it? Apple trees don't bear strawberries, do they? Raspberry bushes don't bear apples, do they? You're not going to dip into a polluted mud hole and get a cup of clear, cool water, are you? I love the, the imagery there. I love the comparisons and the illustration and the way it contrasts uh, how powerful the tongue is. 
And one of the first things that stands out to me when I, when I read this passage, whether it's in the, the message or any other translation, is that the tongue is disproportionately strong. The tongue is disproportionately strong. What I mean by that is, even though it's small, it's super powerful. But the, the tongue has the power to control our life. You know, scripture likens it to the horse. Okay, a horse, it's a big, strong animal and it has its own will. But yet you put a small bit in the mouth of that horse and you can control the horse. A ship is, is large and powerful, but yet with control of a small rudder, you can change the, the course in which that ship navigates. In the same way, we have to realize the power in our tongue and through our words and that if we can control our tongue, we can control our body and we can have a large influence on the circumstances and the situations in our life. Now, when I think about how it's disproportionately strong and how there's great power, even though it's sm- small, I, I, I kind of had this realization the other day. Part of my job is, is doing gr- uh, a lot of design work, graphic design, web design, print, branding and marketing, those types of things. So I'm always on my computer. And if I'm not working on something like that, I'm researching or studying or reading. I'm just kind of a tech junkie in general. And so Gavin, a lot of times, anytime I'm on my computer, he goes, oh, you working? You know, he knows I'm, I'm working or something if I'm on it. And, uh, but he'll come up and he'll watch me and I'll, you know, pat his head, but I'm always busy or focused. But there's been those few times where I'm doing something and then all of a sudden my screen goes black and I'm like, wait, what happened? And I look and there in the corner of the, the computer is his finger sitting on this power button. That's like that big. It's small. It's seemingly insignificant. And I have a Mac computer. So if you have a Mac I never even power it down. Like you just close it and it sleeps. And so he hit that and I'm like, oh my gosh. And like in an instant, everything that I've worked to accomplish, every, everything that I was trying to do has been undone because of this disproportionately strong little element. See what I'm saying? With, with, in our lives, there may be good deeds we're doing or things that we're trying to accomplish in our lives. But if we lack self-control of our tongue in an instant, all that we've been working to accomplish can be undone. And so in the same way that a horse can be controlled or a ship can be controlled, we've got to try to control our tongue. And now, now reading that passage, it says a, a tiger can be tamed, a monkey can be tamed, a lion, a, a horse can be broke, you know, wild animals can be tamed, but it says the tongue cannot be tamed. And I think that's because we, we are humans, we have a flesh, we have a fallen nature, and we're going to slip up, we're going to spout things off, and even on our best days, we're going to have a slip of the tongue. And so while we can't tame it, I do believe we can learn to bridle it. And I do believe we can learn to consistently control our tongue, ultimately, so that we can control our actions and bring life into our situations and affect the things that are going on around us. So looking at that scripture again, another thing that we see is that the tongue has the power to do good or the tongue has the power to do a world of hurt. The tongue uh, has the power to edify or to tear down to encourage or, or, to, or to not encourage, to speak life or to speak death. And, and both can't happen. We've, we've got to get a grip and we've got to decide what it is that we're going to speak out. Proverbs 18.21 says, The tongue can bring death or life. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. So when I read that, I, I kind of think, am I prepared to deal with the consequences of the things that I'm speaking over my life? The things that come out of my mouth, am I ready to give account for those and, and reap the consequences of the words th- that I've said? 
Now, if you're going around and you're edifying and encouraging and speaking God's promises and, and constantly building others up and, and being hopeful in your situation, then yeah, who wouldn't want to reap those consequences? But we're humans. We, we get frustrated. We, we get cynical. We get negative, And those things come out of our mouth. And I, I don't want to reap those consequences. I don't want to see negativity and death manifested in my life because of poorly chosen words that I wasted. Don't waste your words because there's life and death and the power of the tongue. Words can bring death. War, wars have started over death. Global destruction caused because of words. Marriages ruined because of words. Families ruined because of words. Friendships ruined. Careers destroyed. Churches crumbled. Hopes diminished. Reputations tarnished because of words. There can be death in our tongue. Now in the same way... In Matthew, Jesus tells us, blessed are the peacemakers. Where, there's, where, where we are speaking peace and speaking life and edifying, I believe his blessing is commanded upon us. So in the same way that we could use our words to hurt or to destroy, we can use our words to bring peace and to bring life. And so we can use those words to make our marriages sweet and to make our families strong and to make our churches healthy. We can use our words to bring hope to the despairing and to advance understanding. And ultimately, we can use our words to aid us in spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ on this earth. There's great power and there's great responsibility in the things that we say. And we've got to realize we're held accountable for those things. And we will reap the consequences for the things that we let out of our mouth. Another thing that Jesus taught us in the gospels is that what you seek, you will find. What you seek, you will find. I believe every one of us is seeking something. How many of you right now are believing for something in your life? Something that hasn't happened yet that you're wanting to see? Something you're, you're hoping to see come to pass? What you seek, you'll find. I believe we all have expectations. Things we want to see come to pass in our life. But a lot of times what we seek and what we speak doesn't align. You know what I mean? You, you, you may be, be believing for your, your health to be restored, but yet you're constantly saying how horrible you feel and, and, and constantly repeating the negative doctor's report and constantly focusing on the negative and speaking that out. And it's not what you want. It's not what you want to see happen in your situation, but yet you're speaking it. And so what we seek and hope to find, we've got to speak and hope to find and realize that what we seek and we speak, those things have to align. How many of y'all know my little friend Eeyore? I think we have a picture of him up here. There he is, Eeyore. Every, everyone should know Eeyore. And Eeyore, you know, he doesn't always have the best situations. Eeyore, guys, I mean, the guy lost his tail. And, and even when it gets reattached or even when he gets a new tail, it somehow seems to make its way away from him. And so Eeyore, you know, he's discouraged. And, and if you watch Winnie the Pooh and you study the life of Eeyore, you see that Eeyore is constantly down on himself. He's constantly negative. He's constantly uh, just saying how bad he's got it. And he lets everyone know it. And it doesn't matter how much Christopher Robin or Winnie the Pooh or Piglet or any of them come to his aid and try to encourage him or, or be there for him. He still doesn't get it. He still, it's like, you know, he's got friends. He's got people who want to be there for him and encourage him. But yet he's still all boring or, you know, always complaining, always down, always uh, living as if everything is wrong rather than hoping to see things start to go right. Rather than embracing the joy and, and the encouragement that he gets from his friends. How many of y'all know an Eeyore? You have an Eeyore that you could think of in your life. Maybe you know a couple Eeyores. 
Are, are any of you in Eeyore? <laughs> we had a couple hands last service that were a little overly energetic about being in Eeyore. <clears throat> but the, the thing is this. There's those people in our life that they're always down. They're always letting you know how bad they've got it. And despite you encouraging them or trying to give them goods to, to help them look at the bright side or show them uh, you know, where there's hope in the word or whatever it would be that you do to help them out of that, they just can't seem to. They're camping out in their doom and gloom. And here's the truth. No one likes to be around Eeyore. There comes a point where it's just like, it wears you out. And if we, if we, those people got to help themselves. If they're just going to camp out and embrace that negativity, there's not much you can do. So today I'm saying, don't be an Eeyore. Even if your situation doesn't look good right now, even if you don't feel good, you still need to realize that there is hope, there is life, there is promises in his word, and you can claim those things over your situation as if it was already done. But please, don't let your words speak against your hope. Don't let your own words speak against your own hopes. Because going back to what I was saying, we, we all hope for something, we're all seeking something, but are our words backing that, or are they negating that? Are, are, is what we're saying uh, affirming the things that we're hoping to see come to pass in our life? We've got to make sure that they're on the same page. Because as I said a minute ago, if you don't control your tongue, all your good efforts, all your good deeds, all that you've been trying to accomplish or see happen can be undone like that. We've got to make sure our words and our actions align because there's life and there's death in the tongue. And we can't choose both. And today I, I challenge you to choose life. Let's choose life. Now, that's one of those things that's it's probably easier said than done because we're humans. We're very habitual people, and we, and we create habits, habits and patterns and routines. And uh, so maybe, you know, in my, in my past, I, I, I struggle sometimes with being cynical. It, it, you know, just where you get cynical or you question things or you're kind of uh, sarcastic about things, that's been something that, that I struggle with. And so maybe with you it's being negative or maybe it's mocking or maybe whatever the negativity would be that it is in your life, we've got to get to a place where we change that. We, we can't let those things c- c- come out of our, our, keep coming out of our life. It's hard, but we're going to have to create a new habit. Okay, and, and so as I'm telling you today, we need to choose life. I believe there's some keys that are vital in, in us getting to that place where we choose life. Keys that are vital in helping us to break the habit of cynicism or negativity and cross the line to where what we are saying and what we're doing is speaking life over our lives. So the first key is this, that we would guard our hearts. That we would guard our hearts. Because I believe the things that come out of our mouth, they don't just magically appear. They, they don't just come from nowhere. They have a source. There's roots. And I believe that what we let into our life and what we let into our heart, those things uh, take root. And eventually, things will come out of our mouths that we thought we would never say, but it had root somewhere. It didn't just slip up. We may have thought it slipped up, but there was roots. And so we have to learn to guard our heart. I, I know as people, let's just be real, all of us have probably dealt with worry at some time or another. Or anxiety. And that's because as humans, we want to uh, fix everything. We want to have all the answers and we want to make everything work. And, and a lot of times we operate as if that depended on, on our ability or, or our resources. And so what happens is we begin to worry when things don't go the way that we hope they would go or, or in the timing that we hope. And so the thing about worry is this, though. It's really such a waste of time and energy and effort 
Because worry does nothing to change the situation around you, but yet it continually creates chaos within you. You ever think about that? Like what, what has worrying ever done to change your situation? You find yourself staying up all night. You find yourself totally checked out at work and you're worrying over something. But at the end of the day, what did that worry do to actually better or further that situation? All it did was create more discord and chaos within you. And it's the same thing with bitterness, with envy, with jealousy, with pride, with doom and gloom. Whatever it is that you struggle with, it's not changing your situation for the better. It's just creating this chaos within you. And, it, and, and where does that come from? It comes because we let something into our heart. We didn't guard our heart. We, 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 we've allowed the wrong things to creep in. We've fed the wrong things. And we need to start feeding ourselves the right things. Because in Luke, we see that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What does that mean? That means what I just said a minute ago. Things that come out of here ultimately had a source. There's a root. They, 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 it started through the way we felt in our heart. Share a little story with you. When I was um, in middle and high school, I played sports all the way through, baseball, basketball, and soccer. And soccer was actually one of my favorites. And I played it, like I said, starting in sixth grade. Well, my senior year, uh, our team, I guess, I think our goalie left. I don't even remember what the situation was. But my coach kind of commissioned me to be the goalie. And at first, I didn't want to. I'd never played it. I wanted to be the guy with the ball who scored, you know, and, and, and so he said, no, I really think you would be good at goalie. And so reluctantly I started. And as we got practicing and scrimmaging and conditioning, I realized, well, I really like this position. And not, not only did I like it, but I was good at it. My height and my speed were kind of a, help, helped me to be good at that position. So we're about halfway through the season and, and, and playing for Meadowbrook Academy. At the time, it was Word of Faith Academy. So we played other small private Christian schools. And so we played a school that was uh, considered a rival. And there was a lot of talk coming into this game and uh, kind of a lot on the line. You know, we wanted to win. And so that day, it was just like, even the day you could feel the tension. There was, it was overcast and it had been raining and the field was muddy. The, the parents were tense. Like you could look at the stands and you know, okay, that's their fans and that's their fans. There was no intermingling, no joy of the Lord upon them. Um, <laughs> The coaches were, were, you know, they were ready for battle and the players were, you know, were lined up, were ready to do this. And so the game starts and it it was close and and at a, you know, a crucial point in the game, here I am, I'm playing goalie and one of the past our defenders. So it's just me and him. He's about 20 yards from me. And so I have two choices as the keeper. I can stay. And I can hope that as he gets close, as I, I, I'm quick enough on my feet that I can react and I can block that shot. Or I could be proactive and I could go out and charge him and hope to cut off his angle and, and block the shot before he's really within good striking distance. So in that moment, I, I said, you know what, I'm going for it. And so I, I, it's like slow-mo in my mind. It's in that, forever in that mental highlight reel. I, never mind. <laughs> if you haven't played sports, you probably don't have one of those. But it was on mine. And so I, I'm, I'm charging this player. And, it, and as I get close to him, he goes to shoot. He gets scared. He panics. He goes to shoot from farther out. And I slide and I, I block the shot. And in the process, I, I took him out. And, but because I got the ball first, they didn't card me or anything. It wasn't unnecessary violence. And so I, I get up. I take the ball, punt it downfield. And, uh, you know, everyone's cheering. And I go to help the guy up. And he totally doesn't let me help him up. You know, I'm like, oh, we're going to play that way. All right. So he stands up. And there was an exchange of words between us. And... Uh, there was exchange of words. And so his coach, he goes running back down the field. Well, his coach was in, with an earshot of that, that exchange of words. 
How many of y'all have heard, you know what an expletive is? An expletive is just the fancy word for, <coughs> for a curse word or profanity. And so this is what happened after that. Their coach, forget the fact that the game's going on, the ball's moving, there's a lot on the line. He is making this huge commotion. And I guess because we're a, a small private school, he's hoping that I'm going to get thrown out of the game or something. So he's saying, referee, referee, their keeper is hurling expletives. And that's how he said it, expletives. I'm just like, expletive? But, but besides the way he was uh, pronouncing it, I was just embarrassed. I'm like, oh man, you know, there's still a lot of game left to play. And this guy is, is shouting this. I, I, I was worried I was going to get thrown out. But then even if I didn't, I was worried because all our fans can hear it. Heard our small private church gathering Christian school. <laughs> and I'm hurling expletives. And, and, and there's my parents and I'm trying not to make eye contact with that side of the field. It's a, there is a point to this. We are going somewhere here. <laughs> So the game ends, we win, we won, and uh, I, I don't, I, they might have only got one goal on me, but anyways, that's besides the fact. We win, I, I head to the car, and my dad says, good game, buddy. I'm like, yes, he forgot, and he opens the trunk to his car, he throws my bag in, he kind of has a smirk on his face, and I'm like, Ugh. and he says, so were you hurling expletives? <laughs> and I said, I might have hurled one. He said, we'll talk about this when we get home. Now, now to my benefit, all right, let me, let me clarify. I did only hurl one expletive. It was the other player who hurled the pl- plural form, expletives. And uh, also, this was well over a decade ago, so it's under the blood. It's forgiven. I'm just being transparent with you guys today. Learn from my mistakes. So we get home, and I'm still hoping that they forgot or something. And we get home, and my mom and dad, they bring it up at dinner. And, and they, were, you know, they were cool about it. And, and mom just said, what did you say? And so I repeated what I said. And, and she goes, where did that come from? And I was like, what, what, what anyone would say? It slipped. <laughs> it slipped. And she said, no, it didn't slip. She goes, it came from somewhere. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. I, for, for whatever I had let into my life at that time, um, you know, I had allowed myself to become desensitized to that type of language. And so something that I thought I wouldn't say or say in certain settings, I said it in that moment. And, and now there was the consequence of having said that. And so, yeah, it's a lighthearted story about a t- 12th grade goalkeeper who slipped a curse word. I know there's a lot worse things that we could say. And there's probably a lot of people who've been hurling expletives even this morning. But the point of what I'm trying to get at is that we've got to guard our hearts. We've got to guard what we're letting in and, and not allow ourselves to be jaded or desensitized and let things in that would bring life to us and encouragement because ultimately what's in our heart is going to come out of here. Because what we let into our heart affects how we feel and the way we feel affects how we think in our mind. And the way we think in our mind affects how we speak. And the words that we speak ultimately give us the power to shape our circumstances. And so are the things that we're speaking out over our circumstances, are those things that we really want to be speaking or have we allowed things to take root that we wish were not in our lives? If we want to change our words and if we want to speak life, we've got to guard our hearts. The second thing we've got to do if we want to speak life is we've got to throw the lever of life. Say that. Throw the lever of life. And you're saying, well, what, is th- what does that mean? What I'm saying is it's not enough to just avoid speaking negativity. How many of you, your mom said, if you can't say nothing nice, don't say nothing at all. Okay, well, that doesn't work. Because how many of y'all know, okay, 
we, we think we're in the clear because we avoid saying something, but yet we still feel the same. And we still let everyone around us know exactly how we feel. We, that, that's not enough. We can't just avoid speaking wrong. We've got to throw that lever of life. I heard the story about this lady who was walking up the, uh, she's walking up the sidewalk, running some errands, and there's a, a pet store that she passed. And out in front of this pet store, there's this cage with a parrot. And as she walks by, the parrot says, hey, lady, I think you're ugly. And I'm, I'm not going to do a parrot voice. She said, hey, lady, I think you're ugly. And she was like, kind of did a double take. Well, she went about her way to run her errands. And on the way back, she passed that parrot again. And he said, hey, lady, I think you're ugly. And so she was livid. She goes into the pet store and she finds the, the, the pet shop owner and she said, tells him what happened. And he apologizes. He says, I'm so sorry. This will not happen again. I, I assure you of that. And she says, okay. And so she goes about her way. And as she's going to do errands the next day, she says, you know what? I'm going to walk past that pet shop just to see what that parrot says. So she walks by and the parrot says, hey, lady. And she looks at him and he goes, you know what I'm thinking. <laughs> So just how I don't want us to be Eeyore, I don't want us to be that parrot that even though we're not saying it, everyone around us still knows exactly how we feel and we're making sure they know how unhappy we are and how everything's going. No, it's not enough to just avoid speaking wrong. We've got to throw that lever of life and choose to speak his promises over our situation even though it hasn't become a reality yet. To choose to speak life and to edify and to encourage and to declare his goodness over our circumstances even though it may not have happened yet. Even though we may not feel like it. Mother Teresa said, you've got to be the change you wish to see in this world. Well, guess what I'm telling you today? You've got to speak the change that you want to see in your situation. It hasn't happened yet. You don't feel like it yet. It doesn't matter. Speak it. Because when he was on that cross and he died for us, his work was finished. And everything that we would need for life and godliness has already been done. And even though our circumstances aren't perfect, we've got to make sure that what we seek and what we speak, that those are aligning and we are declaring life over our situation as if it is already done. There is power in confession. There's power in confession. Romans 10.10 says, For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And it is by confessing, confessing with your mouth that you are saved. And so we are saved by believing in our heart and confessing with our words. That's the same with our situations. We got got to let the right things in our heart. And then we got the power of confession to speak those things over our lives. Don't just diminish stuff say, oh, it was just something I said. It's just words. No, there is power in your words. There's power in confession. I'm calling each and every one of us to speak life over our situations. I have something I want to share with you that I came across a few years back, and it's called the 12 Audacious Faith Confessions. And we'll make these available online later. And uh, basically what it is, is this is 12 confessions, and each one of these confessions has several scriptural references Because I don't want us just getting to the place where we say, okay, I can speak life. I don't want it to speak life as we think it should be or just our hopes or our dreams. But I want us to speak God's promises over our life. Because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. His word never changes. His truth endures forever. It's timeless. It's always relevant. And his promises don't return void to us. So why not speak his promises over your life, your family, your health, your finances, your situation? So I want to share these 12 confessions with you. This is something I confess every day over my life. Whether I feel like it, 
whether my circumstances necessarily align with this, I still take the higher road and confess over my life God's life-giving promises. Number one, I am fully forgiven and free from all shame and condemnation. Number two, I act in audacious faith to change the world and my generation. Number three, I have no fear or anxiety. I trust in the Lord with all of my heart. Number four, I am able to fulfill the calling that God has placed on my life. Number five, I am fully resourced to do everything that God has called me to do. Number six, I have no insecurity because I see myself the way that God sees me. Number seven, I am a faithful spouse and I am a godly parent. My family is blessed. Number eight, I am completely whole physically, mentally, and emotionally. Number nine, I am increasing in influence and favor for the kingdom of God. Number ten, I am enabled to walk in the sacrificial love of Christ. Number eleven, I have the wisdom of the Lord concerning every single decision that I make. And number twelve, I am protected from all harm and all evil in Jesus' name. Can we give him a clap today? I want you, like I said, we're going to, I'll share those confessions. I got them from a book. But take them, make them your own. Realize the truth that is in God's word, the life that's in there. Find the promises you're, that you, you need and speak them over your situation. But I encourage you, there is strength that comes from the power and confession. Today we've realized that the tongue is powerful. It can speak life and it can speak death. And even though it's small, it still has great control. And are we ready to give account for our words? Are we ready to reap the consequences of the things that we are saying? So let's make sure we get a grip and and we guard our heart and we throw the lever of life so that we can speak his life over our lives and watch how that affects our lives. Watch how God moves when we speak his promises. Did you get anything at all out of this today?